Okay, John 15, 1 through 5. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit that is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Amen. Good morning. If you're watching online, great to have you guys with us this morning. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we get to enter into one of Jesus' most famous teachings, and I'm excited about that. We're going to be looking at uh, the first section of chapter 15, as Jesus is going to talk about, as he says in, in chapter 15, verse 1, he's going to say, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener, right? This, this beautiful passage as he introduces himself in this way, and, and uh, as he's going to talk about himself as the grapevine, the father as the gardener, and us as the branches. And as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to look at three specific aspects of it. And that's that there's three things that he's going to be pointing out. The one that Jesus is calling us to, be, to, to, or to abide in him. And he's going to be saying that we need to bear fruit for him. And that in order to do that, we're going to need to be pruned. And, and it's this incredibly rich passage. But before we, we fully get into that, I want us to kind of step back and look at the context of, of where this is all happening. So right now, we're in the second week of this uh, eight-week series going through Easter called God With Us. And we'll be looking at John chapters 14 through 17 as we move towards Easter and the resurrection that goes from John 18 forward, right? And uh, each week, we're going to be looking at this series at different ways in which Jesus says the Holy Spirit has come to be with us. God is going to be with us because of his departure. And we're going to look at different aspects of that. Because he's leaving, he says that his Holy Spirit is the best possible thing, that the Spirit coming is the best possible thing for the disciples, right? Even better than him being physically among them, because now he is with us in his fullness. And so last week, we looked at the context of that as we were in chapter 14, and, and we saw that in chapter 13 was kind of an intro to that, where Jesus is talking, or it's where they go to the Last Supper, and Jesus at the Last Supper tells his disciples that he's going to be, he's going to be killed, that he's going to be betrayed by one of them, that Peter even is going to betray him, right? And as a result of that, the disciples are scared, and they go, they're, they're, just, they're freaking out at that point, and Jesus then tells them they don't need to be worried. But instead, they should trust in him because he is sending his Holy Spirit to be with them, and he will be with them for eternity, right? And so that's a recap of last week from chapter 14. But if you didn't listen to it, go back and check it out. There's a lot of beauty in that. And so the last, the last uh, few words of chapter 14, it says this. I want us to look at it. It says, I don't have much more time to talk to you, Jesus says, because the ruler of this world approaches... He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. And then he says this, come, let's be going. Right? That's how chapter 14 finishes. So he finishes after talking about the Holy Spirit and that he's coming. He tells them it's time to get up and go. And so he, with the disciples, gets up from this room and he begins walking out of the room with them and leaving this, this room with the disciples. And he says, because Satan is already at work and he's already going to come, so let's get out of here. And so they leave the room and they head towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's the context for these next few chapters that we're going to be looking at. Now, it's about a mile or so, just over a mile to get from where the upper room likely was to the Garden of Gethsemane. And because chapter 17 finishes on the temple side of the Kidron Valley, it's less than a mile. I mean, literally, I've walked it before. It takes less than 20 minutes. It's a short walk. In fact, just to read these three chapters slowly takes almost as much time as it would take to make that walk. 
And so as Jesus walks, he knows what's coming, right? He, he knows what's about to happen to him. He knows what he's going to go through and what the disciples are going to go through. And he knows that his disciples are about to scatter. He, he, he knows that this is the last few minutes he has alone with his disciples before they flee and before he's put on a cross. And that's why what he says in these following chapters is so critical. Right? These words aren't Jesus' musings as he's chilling back with a glass of wine and reclining in some fancy house. This is Jesus on the road walking to his death, the last moments with his disciples. Right? And that's, again, the setting for these chapters. Now, as they follow Jesus from the upper room all the way to the garden, it's likely the pathway would have taken him right through the temple courtyard. And it's an interesting thing because as they passed through the courtyard of the temple, they would have looked up and seen in the temple, right above the giant 50-foot doors of the temple at the holy place, they would have looked up and there was this massive vine made of solid gold that was covering. Here's kind of a picture of an artist kind of re-rendering what that would have looked like. These 50-foot tall doors and this massive golden vine that would have been around it. It would have been just shining in the moon at that point. Right? And I mean, those, those clusters are considered as tall as men, solid gold, and it would have been shining for everyone to see. And as they're walking past that, most likely is when Jesus says to them in 15, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. So why does Jesus use this example of the grapevine? Well, it's not a new illustration for them. In fact, the idea of a grapevine for the Israelites, it's so central because it's the symbol of their nation, this, the grapevine for them, right? It would be like uh, the stars and stripes or a bald eagle for an American today, right? The, the grapevine, it was on their coins back during the Maccabean times. It was an illustration that God has used countless times throughout Scripture to point them back to his calling for them. And in fact, when almost every time it's used in the Bible, it refers to Israel, though the, the reality is most time it actually is a reference to their weaknesses as a failing vine. But the Israelites would have been intimately familiar with the idea of a vine and branches and pruning and bearing fruit, right? This was something they were very familiar with. So let's look at one passage where this is, is brought up back in the book of Isaiah. So here in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to read a few verses here. He says, Now I will sing for the... This is God speaking over his people. Now I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. That's referring to Jerusalem. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the, group, the grapes that grew were bitter. Now, you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Now, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will tear down its hedges and let it be destroyed. I will make it a wild place where the vines are not pruned and the ground is not hoed, a place overgrown with briars and thorns. The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. But instead, so he expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead, he heard cries of violence. So God called... Do you, do you hear anything similar here in this, this verse? Do you hear in, these, in this Old Testament passage as the same as the verse we just read? God calls his vineyard, or calls this a love song about his vineyard. He cares deeply for the vineyard. But as he's caring for the vineyard and putting all this energy, this tender care into it with his heart and soul, he says the only thing it gives him is bitter grapes. It doesn't produce the harvest that he wants. The fruit that he expects, notice here, the fruit that he's looking for is what? Justice. 
Caring for the poor, caring for the broken, caring for others. They are supposed to be a light to the world around them, reflecting God to the people. Instead, what does he get? Injustice. He's expecting righteousness. The fruit is that they would reflect his glory to the world. And instead, he gets the exact opposite. And so he prunes it. He says he takes it down. Or he doesn't prune it. He says he takes it down. So Jesus is doing a very intentional thing here in John 15. He's taking the symbol of Israel, representing their identity, and he's now assuming that identity for himself. And so now he's inviting the Israelites not to take their identity of being a Jew as being part of an Israelite, but now he's inviting them saying, now I am the vine, now your identity is now coming in me being in Christ, because I am now the source, right? So come, abide, dwell in me. And so that, that's kind of the background as we head into this passage. And so as we dive more into it, remember, there's three things we're looking at today. Again, first of all, that we are called to abide in him, that abiding is going to lead to bearing of fruit, and that healthy fruit requires pruning. So let's read through this section of text one more time and look at what is repeated as we do. John chapter 15, verse 1. Read with me. He says, I am the true grapevine. The father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Abide in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you abide in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." Anyone who does not abide in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask for anything you want and and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. So we can see again the emphasis on abiding, fruit bearing, and pruning in this passage. And they're all connected. So we're going to start with abiding this morning, as that's the source of all the fruit. Now, central to Jesus' message is the disciples need to abide with him or remain in him. He uses those words interchangeably sometimes. And and so can anyone remember last week when we were talking about Jesus was focused, what was he telling them in chapter 4? What was the focus of chapter 14 last week? If you saw it, it was Jesus telling them, I am going to dwell with you, right? That was the focus. We saw that in verse 2 and 23, we connected that together, that Jesus is going to dwell with us now and for all of eternity. And so chapter 15, he gets up and starts walking, and what's the first thing he tells them? I am going to abide with you again, right? It's the exact same message from chapter 14 to chapter 15. And so let's break this down a little bit where he talks about abiding. So in verse 4, he's going to say this, abide in me and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you abide in me. So the only way, he says, you produce fruit is if you can abide in him. That is the only place fruit comes from, Jesus says. And then verse 5, he's going to say, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's the same thing. Remain in me because apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice the emphasis on that. If we don't maintain the connectedness, the connectedness with Jesus, Jesus says we can't do anything, right? We must abide in him. Now, verse six, he says, anyone who does not abide in me is thrown away like a useless branch and they wither. Now, if you're not, if you're not remaining in me, he's saying you wither and you become useless. 
He's warning the disciples they must actively pursue a deep relationship with him, right? Because without intimacy with Jesus, he says they will become useless, right? Listen to these words. They're powerful words from Jesus. And then verse 7, but if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted to you. Now, this one's just amazing. If we abide with him, he says, we can ask for anything we want. It's going to be granted. Why? Because we are in him. His desires become our desires, right? We conform to him. And so when we ask, we're asking the things of his heart. And anything we desire, we're going to get because it's his desire too, he says. This is the degree of intimacy he's looking for from us. And then in verse 9, he says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Therefore, abide in me. Now he's connecting the same intimacy that he has to the Father, saying, this is what I want with you and me. I want you to abide in my love the same way I abide in the Father's love. Right? It's incredible all that he's saying here of this interconnectedness that he's looking for in a relationship with his people. Now, Jesus is saying that, that while we dwell with him through his Holy Spirit, this is what his longing is, right? He wants his disciples to make a a conscious effort to remain in him, to abide in him. And it's a two-way relationship. It goes both directions. This is something that must be cultivated, that Jesus dwelling with the disciples is not enough, according to Jesus, right? It's not enough that Jesus is dwelling with them. They must be abiding in him. And he gives a warning to the disciples here. These are the people that know him better than anyone else in the world, that if you stop abiding in me, You will no longer be fruitful and you will become useless. Now, what I love about this, the way Jesus describes this abiding, is that it's not just something you can know through theology or something you can do just just through your actions. There there is something here that is that he's speaking to his disciples who know him so clearly. Their theology on Jesus is about as good as can be. He's standing in front of them. And yet Jesus is saying, if you stop abiding in me, you will no longer be fruitful and become useless. So he's describing an, an authentic relationship with him, something that, that can't just be quantified, something that, is, that, that, that must be cultivated and invested in, something that's an interior experience of a life with God, something beautiful and life-giving that is this beautiful relationship that he's describing, that we should be receiving life and joy and peace by dwelling with him. We should be alive with Christ and filled with joy, this relationship he's describing. Right? And many of us may say, well, I'm filled with joy. I have life. And for some of us, I would say, well, then tell your face that. Right? Because sometimes your face doesn't seem to know oftentimes. Right? Because it's the reality. It's okay, North, for you to get a little excited about Jesus sometimes. Because this is absolutely amazing what he's describing here. That we are now to be in Christ. We are called to be experiencing his life pouring through us daily. Right? This is what Jesus is inviting us to. It reminds me of like two married couples, right? Both of them would say they love each other. Both of them have been married for decades. And the first couple is kind of in, you could say, a maintenance mode. They made a decision a long time ago that they would never get divorced. But they're not actively pursuing one another, right? They know they're married. They know they love each other. And they told each other that when they got married. Of course they love each other, right? And, and, and they know that they're together. But they're not actively finding ways to build into one another, pursuing one another. And, and they almost seem like roommates in the same house. And on the outside, though, people may say they, say they have a great marriage, right? But then you compare that to another marriage of a couple who just exudes sweetness and joy when you're around them. It's just a fragrant, beautiful marriage that just blesses anyone around them. They know what the other one is thinking. They, they can anticipate the desires and wants of the others. Joy and intimacy are evident in the way that they care for each other. 
You know, a couple in our midst that I think just, just totally lives us out is Ken and Lorna. If you guys don't know them, you've got to get to know Ken and Lorna, right? They've been together for decades, and there is such a sweetness to the relationship that is just so beautiful, and it's a sweetness that did not come by always choosing the easy path. If you know their story, it's definitely not always been easy, right? But it's so beautiful, and you're around them. You just see the way in which they love one another and care for one another and pour into one another. It's absolutely amazing. Hang out with them more if you haven't yet, right? But that is something that has comes from daily making choices to choose one another in the midst of difficulty, right? To choosing the harder path, the harder road, consistently choosing to prefer that other person even when you don't feel like it until those desires start moving and becoming more like the other and those behaviors of choosing the other become normalized and it becomes normal to deeply love the other person. That is what God is calling us to be with Him, right? To foster that kind of intimacy with Him. We are called to abide in Christ, to pursue Him above our own interests, to prioritize taking time with Him, to be with Him, to spend uh, so much time with Him that we increasingly, that we can anticipate Jesus' desires and wants, that His desires become our desires, His wants become our wants, that we conform ourselves, that we look more and more and more like Him, right? And Jesus shows with this that, that He wants friendship with His people. That he wants us to abide with him, to, to, as we looked at last week, monet with him, to, to be with him. And, and that just having the right answers or the right theology, it isn't enough. Just being able to quote scripture isn't enough. Jesus did not come so people could study him, right? And, and just tell words about him and then one day go to paradise in the sky. I mean, do you remember the fall series? I know it was a long time ago, but if you haven't, go back to September 26th and re-listen to that message as I talked about that God created us for relationship with Him. From the very beginning, He created us to dwell with Him, for relationship with Him. And Jesus here is saying that He's not just interested in right beliefs, and He's not just interested in the right actions, though those do matter, right? But what He wants is relationship, fellowship with us. He wants us to abide with Him as He dwells with us. You know, there's so many people that, that would say they have fruit or, or, or Christians that think that they're doing great and they, they, they feel that they look good and are doing well and, and, and maybe they're even convinced that they're doing it right because they, they've read their Bible, they do some things and, and they're respected in the community, they compare themselves to other Christians and they're doing well. And they can tell you 20 ways that what you're doing is wrong and they can post stuff all over Facebook. And there's even pastors that can do this, right? They might read their Bibles, they, they might pray, they might go to church, they might give money to the poor, but they have no fruit. No real fruit that remains. And why is that? Because they're not actually spending time in the vine. They're not getting life from the vine. They, they look nothing like Jesus because they aren't spending time getting to know what Jesus is like. They aren't letting Jesus rub off on them. They're not getting close enough. They're staying at a distance. They may have theological answers, but they lack joy and gentleness and the love of Christ for those that are around them. Right? They look a lot more like Pharisees than they do Jesus. Just having the right answers isn't enough. Now, our greatest longing should be to remain in Jesus, to remain in the vine and to see his fruit naturally coming out of us that our lives would increasingly take on the shape of Jesus and, and that His desires again become ours. And as Christians, we must order our lives in such a way that we prioritize spending time with Jesus. There, there's no shortcuts to this. There's no substitutes for this. Jesus ordered His life around spending time with His Father. Right? And we cannot find another pathway outside of that. We can't just blitz through a Bible or the passage of Scripture and think that we're done. We need to take time to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us through that Word. And we need to speak to Him. 
We must use the word as a lamp for us to show us in areas that our heart is not yet conformed to his. And then we must then conform our lives to being more like his in whatever area he reflects to us. His fruit should be pouring out of our life. Jesus, the God of the universe, who gave his life for us, wants to be in relationship with us. That is incredible. That's amazing. Jesus wants to be in relationship with us. Now, come on, that's worth an amen, guys, right? Come on. Just, can we just do it once, North Northview? Amen. All right, sorry. I'm coming out of Africa. You guys got to get better in that area. Okay. So this is worth getting up 30 minutes earlier for each day, or even an hour earlier for to spend time. The God of the universe wants to spend time with us. Amen. He wants to abide with us so that we would abide with him. Is that not worth reordering our days and our mornings so we can abide with the God who created the cosmos, right? That is worthy of our time. It is worth spending time with him and ordering our lives according to him. We must grow in abiding in Christ. Jesus says it is only by abiding in Him that we will bear fruit. Amen? Amen. So let's look at what Jesus has to say about bearing fruit then. He says in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 2, He says this, He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. So the goal here is to produce as much fruit as possible. And God is even willing to bring discipline into our lives and pain in order to see this fruit come out. 15.4 says, For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you abide in me. As we saw before, no fruit is possible unless we abide in him. Verse 5, Those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. That's the stated goal of the abiding. The goal of the abiding is fruit-bearing, right? And the fruit doesn't take work. Christ is the one who makes the fruit grow, right? Though the abiding and the pruning often take work. But the fruit is produced by the Spirit of the Lord working in our lives. Verse 8, he says, When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So now Jesus states it explicitly. His followers of Jesus are supposed to be producing lots of fruit. Right? That's the expectation, that we produce his fruit. The life of Jesus must be evident in ours. Right? And so it's clear that Jesus' focus in this passage that his disciples need to be bearing fruit. Almost every verse points to that. And so what does fruit bearing look like in this passage? Well, it's the life of the vine coming out of the branches. That's what the fruit is. It's the life of the vine coming through. It's through the Holy Spirit. And Paul calls this the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit should look like Jesus. That's what the fruit is. Jesus' life being evidenced in our lives, living and loving like Jesus. And as we're going to see in the context, especially next week, this specifically has to do with the way in which we love one another. Jesus' expectation upon his followers is that our lives increasingly look like his. That's the fruit of the Spirit, right? And that's how it grows. I mean, you'll never find a grape tree like straining to produce a grape, right? It's not going to happen that way. The tree, if the tree is taken care of, it's going to produce a grape or produce an apple, whatever it is. And Jesus' point here is he is taking care of us and we must bear fruit by remaining in him. So, verse 5 is important. It says this in verse 5. He says, Those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Here it is. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this is fascinating because do we actually believe this? I would say the vast majority of us don't. 
actually believe we can do nothing apart from abiding. So we've been trying our entire lives to do everything without abiding, right? Abiding is the minority of our time, not the majority. And we see that and we go, well, I guess I don't really need to abide because look how much I did without him. And Jesus' point is, it's useless if it's not in me. I mean, without abiding in Christ, people do a whole lot of stuff these days. They can build companies, they can win elections, pastors can build fast-growing churches that are mega churches all over the place, all completely apart from God. We can appear very fruitful on the outside apart from Him, but that's not what God's looking for. He says that fruit doesn't last. He wants it to come out of abiding in Him. You know, this is a great example. In China in the late 50s, Mao Zedong did something he called the Great Leap Forward. And in this time, there are over 30 to 40, at a conservative degree, 30 to 40 million people lost their lives conservatively during that time. And, and during that, it was Mao's desire was to, 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 to like bring shame upon the Western world. He wanted to show that China could have better agricultural production than any other place in the world, right? And so to do that, what he would do is he, he would have people, they would, they would, they would try and, and, and produce more grain than anyone else ever could or thought of. And, and, and so to do that, people would take whole fields of grain, entire fields, and they would uproot it, and they'd smash it all together near a certain area, and they'd get it as tight as they could packed in, and they'd say, look at how much we can produce in here. And, and the more grain you could produce through square meter, the then Mao would say, wow, look at you. And then other people would have to beat that number and beat that. And so people went insane. They'd take all these fields, smash them together, and then Mao would drive by on his train or he'd come and visit it and he'd look at it and they'd go, wow, look at how much we produced. Right? And so here's a picture they put in one of the papers of kids standing on top of grain. You know, I don't know how many of you are farmers in here, but you can't stand on top of grain when it's growing. That's insane. But they put it so tightly together, they, they smashed it together, put on a platform, and made mouth. This went in the newspaper saying, look, our grain is so tight, we can stand on top of it while it's growing. And people believed these. These psychophants did. And, and they continued. And others then had to match that and beat it. And it went insane. And what happened? Once Mao left, the next day or two, what happens to this grain that's been uprooted? It all dies. So what happened? The world's greatest famine that we know in history. Tens of millions of people dying because they were trying to force everything for appearance sakes, for a, a day or two, for someone to look at them and say, look how fruitful we are. Now, there are many other reasons of the, of the fam and other stuff I could get into, but this picture to me is such a perfect picture sometimes of us Christians in our lives. When we try to, when we try to produce fruit that isn't from abiding in Christ for the sake of other people to see it, it's no better than just grabbing the grain and smashing it together and saying, look at this fruit, right? It's going to die. It may look fancy on the outside. But it's no better than the dead crops trying to please Mao Zedong. Right? Trying to impress people with fake fruit is just death. It doesn't last. Instead, we're called to produce fruit that lasts. And that fruit only comes by abiding in Christ, according to Jesus. There are no shortcuts. There are no other ways around it. There's no microwave discipleship. Right? There's no other way around this. If we're trying to produce fruit that doesn't involve a deep, deep connectedness with the Lord... It ain't fruit that lasts, and it ain't fruit that he's talking about. The fruit we should bear should be fruit of us looking more like Jesus, thinking more like Jesus, feeling more like Jesus, his life pouring out of us, us conforming to him, and specifically, especially in the way we love one another. So how do we bear fruit then? We abide in Christ. We spend time with him. We spend time in his word. We spend time in prayer. We let his word transform us, right? That is the fruit that remains as our lives reflect his. And it's not just a morning quiet time. It's all throughout the day. All right. That leads us to the third main element we want to look at, pruning. 
this morning. Now, in verse 2, he's going to say this about pruning. He says, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. So John is showing that God deeply cares for this vine, and therefore, because he cares so much for it, he wants them to be fruitful, and so he's going to take care of them, and taking care of them means pruning, because that's what good gardeners do, right? Now, Sarah and I, we're not the best gardeners. You know, a number of years ago, I tried it for the first time. In South Africa, we had just bought a house, and I figured it was time to try this because I had these friends, these wise, sage leaders of the church around me and others that were talking about these incredible stories of how their gardening was like an analogy of their relationship with God, right? And they, they just spent hours gardening. I'm like, I want to be one of these wise, enlightened, spiritual gardeners, right? And so I figured I should start gardening to be able to prune myself and become in tune with whatever this is, right? That was honestly part of the motivation. Like, God, maybe you got something to show me. So I went and built these cool raised or garden beds that God lots of sun. I, I got an automatic irrigation system. I, I got the best possible fertile soil I could get and a fertilizer. And I got the, what were supposed to be the easiest kind of vegetables to plant. And I got an extra 10 like chilies because I love chilies and put that in a separate one. And I was stoked and ready to go. And I did everything right. And then long story short, everything died, right? Nothing grew. Well, actually, no, the rosemary grew somehow. That's like a weed that grew. And my, my tomato plants grew like crazy, but the tomatoes didn't. They were dead. And none of the food worked, right? Nothing was edible. Everything was terrible. It all died, right? Even my chilies, they all grew and looked perfect, but none of them were warm, let alone hot. Not even the habaneros. Everything just was terrible, right? And so I learned afterwards that the reason for that was because I wasn't just supposed to start it. I was supposed to cultivate it. And uh, yeah, no one told me that part. I just thought I could get excited and let the water do its thing and the sun do its thing. It was supposed to work. It doesn't work that way, right? And even today, we're still not really a plant family. We're, we're great at keeping cactuses alive and fake plants. That's kind of our, that's kind of our big thing, right? <laughs> Succulents are supposed to be indestructible, but we've killed so many of those. Um, though, major improvement and, and, and total props to my wife. When we moved in, someone gave us a cool plant. I forget who it was. Thank you. It's still alive by some miracle today. So <laughs> major props to Sarah. We're, we're turning the corner there. But, but right, so gardening is, is, is something that takes work, as, as I learned, by, by killing everything. And, and so because vines, they need to be pruned. Right? Vines will not, will not just grow healthy on their own. And in fact, they take a great deal of care and effort. The energy of the vine only goes in the direction... Sorry, a vine grower wants the energy of the vine only to go in the direction that produces fruit. Right? Because otherwise, the vine will just produce wood. Right? And it's going to twist in on itself over and over again. And so when vine growing, any growth that leads to unhealthy grapes or wastes the energy by twisting in on itself and going in random directions, that part gets cut off. Right? You keep cutting the unhealthy elements so that what you want to see grow, that only that part grows. It left to themselves, vines will produce a lot of wasted growth that will take away from the areas that need to be growing fruit, right? And they're just going to keep growing wood, and you're going to get longer and longer branches that twist in on themselves. And that's not what you want for growing fruit. The goal of the vine grower is to grow fruit, not branches, right? They want fruit. And, and not just fancy branches that stick around. And, and yet it seems today so often in the church we're far more interested in ourselves and our looking fancy than we are actually in the fruit-bearing process, which is the whole point. The vine grower gives incredible care to the vines. They're not trying to hurt them, but they're trying to make them healthy. And I mean, I love this picture that God uses of dealing with his children. That God is wanting to remove what is dead and harmful and those things that prevent fruit from being born into our lives. And sometimes that means discipline. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it means having to give up or let go of things that we're holding on to with a white knuckle grip that God knows those things are hindering fruitfulness in our lives. And sometimes he does it to us 
through difficulties or other challenges, but sometimes and oftentimes he even invites us to be part of the pruning process and ask for us to be involved in letting go of certain things. He might prune an unhealthy relationship for us, or he might ask us to walk out of an unhealthy relationship and us do it. He may allow our TV to break or our cable to turn off so we can save some time or our internet to stop working. Or, as often the case, he asks us to begin to letting go and to relook at how we spend our time and, and the things that we put into our head and the things that we view. It goes both ways. And not just so we grow longer and longer branches and get bigger and bigger heads, but so that we bear healthy fruit, so that we begin to look more like him, that we begin living and loving more like Jesus. And that others are drawn to us because they see the beauty of Jesus in us. And they're drawn to Christ through us. So what does pruning look like? There's a beautiful picture of this in C.S. Lewis's book, A Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And I love this example. And it's an example of Eustace. And Eustace is, is, been, is a selfish boy who's been turned into a dragon because of poor choices. And in this story, he's got these dragon scales that he can't pull off on his own. And so Aslan, the lion, who's the Christ figure in this, he's Jesus in this, he comes to Eustace and he says this. He says, you will have to let me undress you. Eustace then says, I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but it was pretty, I was pretty nearly desperate. So I lay flat on my back and I let him do it. The first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right through to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Now, Dr. Kent Hughes makes a great comment regarding this, this story. He says this, he says, this is how it is with pruning. We would rather do it ourselves, but we cannot. And even if we could, we would not remove what really has to go. The truth is, what is noble and attractive in us has come from the cutting we would have avoided. King David says in Psalm 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. And he says again, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Right? I mean, that phrase I love so much, what is noble and attractive in us has come from the cutting we would have avoided. Has anyone experienced this? So much of the deep, deep growth in my life that shaped me in beautiful ways came from things I never would have sought out. In fact, I was probably praying them away as they were happening, right? And rebuking them and saying, get out of here. I want nothing to do with this. But those are the things that have shaped me in the most beautiful ways. So how do we grow in living and loving like Jesus if we're in situations that don't challenge us, right? We see here this pruning requires us to, constant, to be in places of challenge and growth and stretching. I mean, it's like working on a muscle. We can't grow in patience if we're not put in situations that we're challenged to, in, in patience, right? To not get what we want when we want it. We can't grow in loving others, growing in loving others if we're not put in situations with difficult people who we challenge to be, that challenges us to be around them. We can't grow in self-control when everything kind of goes the way we want it to go, right? Pruning is always happening. So as we move to application, again, Jesus is saying that he is the true vine and we must abide in him so we can produce his fruit and see his life pour out of us. And to make this possible, we need to be willing to accept his pruning and his invitation to willingly let go of things and be pruned and even prune ourselves in times and anything that's hindering his spirit from shining through our life and, shine, and, and hindering him from, from being glorified in and through our lives. 
We partner with Christ in addressing our brokenness and our weaknesses and our sins and all these things. We partner with Him in this process. We don't just fight Him. We say, Lord, bring it on. Like, Lord, I want to grow. I want you to shine through my life, even when it's difficult and hard. Because God has called us to be fruitful for Him. Abiding is not going to be easy. Pruning is not easy. But it causes us incredible joy. Joy, unspeakable joy, is the fruit as we do this, as we begin to live in love more like Him. You know, abiding in Christ, obviously it takes abiding in the Word, spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, spending time in fellowship with other Christians, spending time in worship. And it's not just reading a chapter a day or something else and thinking we're done. It takes really abiding and seeking the Lord in prayer and letting the Holy Spirit speak to us. Jesus' understanding is that His disciples would cling to Him, Right? Not that they would treat it like an iPhone of plugging it in at night and letting it charge through the night and then waking up and going the rest of it on battery power, right? It's not like a camel being able to drink three weeks of water and then being going the rest three weeks without it. No, he's not asking for us to charge up. He's asking for us to abide, right? Christians sometimes can be good at charging up and thinking, okay, I got my, my 20 minutes and I got my 15 minutes in. But he's saying, don't just charge up, but abide in me, remain in me. Don't just live off the charge from yesterday or last week or last month, but stay with me. You know, there's a test I often give myself when I'm looking at seasons of growth and things and, and to kind of ask the question as, as, as I seek to kind of evaluate, is my life more and more increasingly living and loving more like Jesus in my life? And, and the question that I often ask is, in what ways have I become more like Jesus in this last season, this last six months or the last year? And to do that, the grid that I use is I go back to Galatians chapter 5. And I look at what Paul describes, the fruit that is seen in the life of Christ. And then I just ask the Spirit, and I say, am I more loving towards others and my kids and my wife than I was last year or six months ago, right? Am I, is it, is it is a visible difference, a tangible difference in the way I love? Am I more joyful than I was last year? Am I more patient with my kids and my wife and others and other circumstances than I was before? Am I more at peace Am I more kind now than I used to be? Am I more gentle? Am I experiencing greater degrees of self-control? And do those people who are close to me, can they actually witness it? Do they see the growth happening in my life in those areas? Now, I'm not going to be perfect in them all. And that's not the goal. But they should be increasingly evident in my life. And if they're not, what would Jesus say the reason is? I'm not abiding in Him. Right? Because abiding in Christ will produce fruit. And if I'm lacking in these areas, our response shouldn't be to try and just, you know, get more patience or kindness, right? I, I shouldn't sit there like a branch straining to produce a vine and just go, patience, 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 give me patience. No, right? That's not abiding in the vine. If I'm struggling with patience. I mean, do, sorry, doing that would be like if I was just grabbing all that grain and just smashed it together and, and I'm doing it on my own. That would be fruit that's not from abiding in the vine. That would be fruit out of my own effort, out of my own will. That's not abiding in the vine. Instead, how do I produce the fruit of the Spirit? I do it by abiding in Jesus. And so I can do that if I need patience with my kids. It means I go to the Lord. I say, Jesus, I recognize I am broken. Jesus, I need you in my life. And I pray and I seek the Lord. And I ask Him to change my life. And as I'm driving home, I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, show me. Holy Spirit, work through my life. Show me how to be patient to my kids. Show me what's going on in my heart. I want your love, your life to be reflected to my children. I just failed miserably this past week with one of my kids and got a silent treatment from the whole night. 
because I was not patient and kind towards him. It just broke me. I was in tears at night, just realized I failed miserably. I didn't even understand what I was doing at the time, but I sure saw it in his face when he looked at me. And it's like, Jesus, I need you, right? I need you, Jesus. Therefore, the first question of application for us this morning, are we remaining in Jesus and abiding in him? Are we prioritizing regular, consistent times alone with Jesus? And if not, there's no shortcuts. There's no workarounds here. As followers of Jesus, if we're not spending time with him, we're not actually following him. There's no other way around that. If we're not regularly spending time with Jesus in prayer and in his word, Jesus would say whatever fruit is not of him because the real fruit comes from abiding in him. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We're fooling ourselves if we can think we can be his disciples and not spend regular, consistent time with him. That's like saying you have a good marriage when all you do every once in a while is just give a nod to your spouse across the room, right? And you believe you have a good marriage because it's better than your neighbors or it's better than other people and you're comparing yourself to others like, well, it's not bad. I mean, we're still together. We're not divorced. If that's your standard, that is not the way it works, right? We shouldn't compare our relationship with God to others. Jesus says, don't do that. He says, compare it to me, right? Imitate me and my relationship to the Father. And that's not to bring guilt it's simply to challenge, say, if it's not true in your life, change. Start now. Spend time with the Lord. Dive in. If you don't know where to start, just start with the Gospel of John. Take a chapter a day, and then after you read it, don't just move on, but go and prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to highlight something of showing where your heart is in alignment. If John seems weird to you, jump to Philippians and do a chapter a day and do the same thing. If you're struggling with that, grab a daily devotional, something like My Atmosphere is Highest by Oswald Chambers or something that can jumpstart you and get you moving in the right direction, right? But we need to be spending time with Him. And if you're already doing great, amen, awesome, keep going. If it's barren fruit, amen. But if it's getting stale, you're struggling, then mix things up, do it different, learn about other prayer practices. Go grab that book I recommend in the fall series by Jan Johnson called Invitation to the Jesus Life and, and read a chapter every week or two and then do those practices. Whatever it takes, we must not fail in spending time with Jesus and allowing our lives to conform to him because foundationally, we must be abiding with Jesus as his children. He is the vine, we are the branches. We must abide in him. Maybe you need to set your phone to, to vibrate every few hours just to remind you that God is here with you and that we are called to abide in Him because it's not just about a morning quiet time. It's about remaining in Him all throughout the day. And the other application I want to point us to as we wrap up is, is that of pruning. What is God speaking to you this morning about pruning? Are there any liberties or freedoms or rights that you're currently exercising that could be hindering others from experiencing the beauty of Jesus in your life? I mean, sure, I have the right to all my own opinions, and I can post it on Facebook or, or, or say it out loud any way I want. But is that bearing fruit to those who don't know Jesus? Are they seeing the gentleness and the kindness and the goodness of God visible and reflected in all I write online or say in person? And if not... I need to prune. I need to change. You know, I deeply encourage all of us who are so excited about finally getting rid of masks and taking them off at the end of this week. I mean, isn't that amazing? It's finally happening this week that the mandate's going down, right? That's awesome. I'm so excited about that. But be careful of your attitude and the graciousness by which you treat those who don't take one off if you're excited for it to come off or for businesses that still require them or even for that person that wears it while driving alone inside their car. 
right? Like even that person, right? We need to make sure that the graciousness and the love and the kindness of Jesus continues to pour out of our lives into all people, right? We cannot let our liberty be a stumbling block for Jesus and his gospel being proclaimed. Let God prune our pride and our independence. Go over the top in loving others, even those guys, right? Sure, I'm at liberty to eat alone at work and to have my own time and my quiet, my, my lunch time to myself, but maybe God is nudging you to actually go invite your, your co-workers to eat with you. Or to invite your neighbors, you walk and grab your mail to invite them for a meal. Like our time is, we could say, is our own, but it's not. It belongs to the Lord. And he may be asking us to prune our schedules. Some of us maybe are doing great. We have a lot of fruit. We're bearing it all over the place, but we're so busy, no one's actually able to see it. Or we actually don't even have time to spend with those who don't know Jesus. And so it's not even visible to the world around us. And God may be asking you to prune your schedule. And so we get to take communion this morning as we finish. And as we do that, it's such a beautiful passage from which to take communion, as God is the true vine. And we must receive our life from Him. Jesus is our source, He is the vine, we are the branches. And, and so we take this bread that was broken for us. And we recognize that this bread was broken for us. And we remember that his body was broken. Why? So that we could have life in him. And so Jesus, we thank you for this bread. Let us take the bread. And then we have this cup which represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And again, his blood was shed. Why? So we could have life in him. And so, Jesus, we thank you that your blood was shed so that we could live with you. Let's take the blood. Let us pray. Jesus, May we never forget that you are the vine. You are the source, and we are the branches. Keep us abiding in you. I love that vineyard song from the 80s. Lord, that you are the vine, we are the branches. Keep us abiding in you, Lord Jesus. Prune us, Lord. Keep us bearing your fruit for your kingdom, Lord. Take our eyes off of our own comfort and open our eyes to your kingdom, not our own, and what you are doing in the lives of the people around us, Jesus. We want to reflect your glory to the world, and that means we need to invite you to say, prune us, Lord, and help us to abide in you. Help us to remove the things that prevent us from experiencing the life that you created us for. Conform our hearts to yours, Lord Jesus.